0: Welcome to Conversations About Life. Okay, well thanks Daniel and Marina for joining me in a conversation for the podcast. Sure. And um, we are down here in Edinburgh at, the, um, at Billy and Sarah's home at, on the RGBEM campus. And Daniel and Marina are uh, part of Billy and Sarah's uh, church family. Mm-hmm. And um, Billy, why don't you go ahead and just. Well, yeah, add they're, a little bit more. They're
1: part of our, our church family and part of our small group during the week. Mm-hmm. And we've really enjoyed getting uh, spending time with them at their home and just together. And I would really like to know more about them. So that's why I suggested them for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of work.
0: <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so um would you guys like just to kind of give a little summary of um just who you are and, and then we'll kind of after that we'll kind of go into a little more detail and stuff
2: yeah I'll, I'll go ahead and start um so my name's Daniel and my wife marina is here with me and uh we've been married for eighteen years coming on nineteen um and uh i'm a I've been a believer all of my life and um met Marina in our early twenties and actually we met before that, but uh, didn't get serious about our relationships, our early twenties and um, have, have lived in Houston and then in New Mexico and uh, came back here to the Valley where we got married and have been here for almost 10 years. Um, And there's so many things to say about all the things that have happened between there, I'll, I'll stop there and let Marina say something too. Mm-hmm. Okay.
3: Yeah, so what Daniel says is right. I did not grow up in the church. I, um, uh, My parents were uh, Catholic, but um, we were coming, kind of nominal churchgoers. And as a young adult, I really felt a dissatisfaction with life and how it was turning out. And really wanted to <clears throat> know God, my mom always said, "God is the answer to you know my teenage um, unhappiness or what will you and uh but that was all she could really give me was that God was the answer um, and so but that was enough to kind of point me towards the church and Getting to know um, to really find out who this God was, and um, I ended up coming meeting some friends at Olive Garden well they would soon become friends and um, I said I had wanted to read the Bible like a book I kind I kind of approached it in a very intellectual way at the time, and um, they said, well that's exactly what my church does because my previous exposure to Church had just been you know Catholic mass and um and so I went to a church and um, I just felt like this is that was where I needed to be um, th- there was still some working out that the Lord had um, in my thinking I guess and my understanding of what it meant to have a relationship with him but um, and that was kind of the start of me of really formulating my relationship with God. And so that's where I met Daniel, that church that my friend said, this is you know, exactly what my church does, was a church that Daniel was attending with his family, and that was kind of where our story began.
0: Okay. So you grew up in like a nominal Catholic family. Right. Uh, what does that mean? Did you go weekly or just a couple times a year? Or?
3: Um there were seasons of going consistently and then there were seasons of just not going at all. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. So and um so was was like uh your like it, that a part of your family life at all? Like did you all pray at home or do any kind of religious things?
3: Um in my very young years I remember my dad teaching me to pray, a little prayer in Spanish. Um, And it wasn't the Lord's Prayer or anything like that. You know, it was... Kind of like a now you lay me down to sleep, or now right now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord, my soul to keep, but something like that in okay. Spanish, right. like a, a a familiar children's prayer in spanish, and um uh we would pray the rosary at times, mm-hmm. um, my mother would kind of lead that effort more than my dad, and uh, yeah, that was something that we did do, and that was more in my in my when i was a little bit older my mom would i think my dad had gotten sick or I'm, i can't remember exactly but um i just remember kneeling and praying the rosary with my mom and that was something that was very meaningful to her and especially um st june you know with the with each rosary there's often a, a particular saint who's um a, associated with a specific trial like um, in St. Jude in particular was a saint of the like the outcasts the the lowest of the lows you know the ones who had no hope Mm -hmm. he was kind of their patron saint for the the hopeless and so whatever we were going through that was kind of who my mom you know that's kind of always been who she's her patron saint I suppose
0: okay and that's a part of the rosary prayer? Like a rosary is like a series of prayers, right?
3: Correct.
0: And that praying to St. Jude, is that a part of everyone's rosary? He or was it just was you particular?
3: He was kind of... So the idea is that there are intercessors, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, and so he is the particular intercessor because he would understand your situation right? Okay. more specifically and... Would be able to plead for you to christ um uh, with more sincerity, I suppose you know I don't know right so
0: okay, and then like as a nominal Catholic, did you have any idea of like um jesus' death, like what it meant like as an an atonement or anything like that none okay
3: hmm. none i I just thought that God was a um, I just knew I needed to be good that was the what I was communicated then and and that that was probably more through maybe my parents <laughs> than i don 't know if the church communicated that um, but it was more that I just believed that God was expected me to be good and that I needed to be good and that but i always i was aware that i wasn't okay mm-hmm.
0: and then um do you remember when you first heard about Jesus' death like the gospel message or you know and just how you what you felt right. about it or thought about it i'm
3: trying to remember exactly um I think the very first time I may have heard that was in a counselor's office. I was like eight, 18, and I, you know, had been struggling with depression at the time, um, had just kind of gone through this big breakup. And, um, and at the very end, you know, the counselor, I just vaguely remember him mentioning something about, forgiveness of sins and kind of asked me would you like to pray this with me and i remember saying yes and just you know tears falling and really feeling like i was being forgiven huh. um wow so that was kind of but it was almost like a passing common in my life you know someone mm-hmm. i didn't really have a relationship with mm-hmm. and maybe he i don't know he just felt prompted to
0: hmm Um sometimes I think, well, everyone in America knows about Jesus dying right. for his sins, you yeah, know. I just and, and they don't.
3: They yeah. they really don't. I think um that's why I really admire Daniel, because he'll often get like a prompting, you know, I need to just talk to this person, and and he'll obey that. And they may not have this lasting friendship that lasts you know, it goes on forever and ever. But the same way that that counselor was obedient to, I don't even know if it was within his practice, you know, mm-hmm. um, permissibility to do that, but he honored that. And that meant something to me. And so I don't know who he is or where he is now, but God used him at that point in my life to kind of, you know,
4: mm-hmm.
3: communicate his love for me.
4: Hmm.
0: And, um, and then you felt forgiveness at that time, right? right? And <clears throat> yes. like before that, did you feel guilt or was it until you felt the forgiveness that you even realized you were carrying around guilt?
3: Oh, I think I always had guilt and shame. Okay. Yeah, hmm. I think I wore it like a cloak.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you look at that as your conversion experience or being born again and, you know, that type of thing?
3: Um... I I've often yeah I think that point in particular um but it you know it's it was progress I mean I yeah. think that was one point in my story and then when I started going to that church that my friends invited to that was when my life really started to radically change because hmm. I yeah. was in a community right. So this hmm. happened isolated event mm-hmm. But then, when I joined that church and I was in a community, mm-hmm. that's when it was like exponential growth.
0: Yeah. You know? How old were you, th- or how? What was the time gap between that experience and and then later when you got involved with that church?
3: Um, golly, I don't know. Maybe it could have been months. Could have been a year. Okay, a couple Something years. Like that.
0: Not too. Longer, right. Like,
3: yeah. yeah. My young adult life. Okay. It was when that all happened.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. And then Daniel, um, so you said you were, have been a, a believer all your life. So do you mean that, um, from the very earliest that you can remember that you were, you and your, you were into Jesus and and following him and that type of thing or?
2: Yeah. Um, marina and my stories are quite different um i i was raised by parents who were not christians and right when i was born god reached into their lives and they received the lord and so my dad immediately left a life of drugs and alcohol um and moved all the way across the country from great falls montana to black mississippi and there he they they moved from being in the charismatic movement to also being Presbyterian, which was my dad's upbringing. He's brought up in the liberal Presbyterian church, and so, but they became part of the conservative Presbyterian church, and uh, he got training at Columbia Bible College. So my my growing up was receiving thorough training in the Presbyterian Lesser Catechism, the, the smaller catechism. It's a little yellow book I can remember with a, and hmm. uh, receiving, um. A lot of, a a lot of Bible stories. I actually have the books that my dad used to go through with us. I I go through them with my children still. So Mm -hmm. a lot of devotions, a lot of training in the scriptures as my dad got a degree in Bible. Hmm. Um, And so my earliest memories are knowing who Christ was and what he had done for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think I immediately understood. Um, the implications of God's love for myself is mostly a fear based concept to me because I knew of hell and I wanted to avoid hell. And I remember being in my little bunk bed, and being a a kid just saying every night, Lord God save me. I don't want to go to hell. Hmm. So it was, it was, uh, but, but at the same time I I was fully aware of the message and I understood that Christ had forgiven our sins. I just didn't understand that it was a permanent enduring thing. Um, as I got older seven, eight, nine, ten, 10 it sort of stayed the same there wasn't just the same interest in God I, I always read my Bible I did what my parents told me to and I, and I loved it to some degree and I loved being in the church um, but the personal relationship with Christ really began more at 11 or 12 where at a youth conference at this point my parents had been missionaries in Mexico for about 4 years um and the leaders challenged us to have a personal relationship. And I had a long conversation with my parents what a personal relationship was. Um, and on asking my parents about that, they told me, well, seek God in the scriptures. And so I opened my Bible to Philippians. And when Philippians 1 is sick, it just says, God will accomplish what, what um, concerns you until the end of the age. And, um, and so I, was, I felt like that was a personal word. From God to me at the time, and 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 I, get, got I was very confident that God was going to do what He said He was going to do. He's going to complete everything in me to the end of time when Christ comes again. And so, um, from there, I, I started to walk with God, and and really have a prayer life with God that was just like actually un, unfolding. It, it was it was something I enjoyed um, praying to God and expressing my dreams and hopes and wants and wishes and and prayer for others and things and so from there i've i've walked with god and yet there's been a tremendous number of things where god has had to deal with arrogance and pride in me um he's had to deal with uh all sorts of of different things in me but i i've been very confident that his holy spirit is not only with me but is 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 his presence is becoming increasingly um Deep to me, Um, I I think God God is present all the time, everywhere, but we all are aware of that presence and in harmony with that presence to differing degrees. So,
0: so your parents were um, religious. They were in the. um, um, You said the um, what movement before you know the charismatic Charismatic movement Mm -hmm. and. but they were also like in a worldly lifestyle. Like,
2: well, no, what, what my, my mom was a, into Eastern religion. Okay. Um, uh, a, a lot was of, before charismatic. Bef- yeah. Movement. Before she was okay. a Christian, right. she was into Eastern religion. They're, they're part of the mid seventies drug hmm. post Vietnam. My dad was in the air force. Mm-hmm. Literally people would do drugs on the flight line kind of thing. Like, Like it was a bad time for Mm -hmm. uh, the military. And my mom was not only into drugs, but also into Eastern religion and doing a lot of things that were just outright demonic. Mm -hmm. Um, And and her testimony is that she, she, that the sense of of demon possession was, was increasing in her that she sensed that something else was looking out from her. And my dad, who was a mess, but had a Presbyterian background, one night just told her Diane if if you keep on going this direction you're just going to go to hell and it struck her and and she became afraid and actually started to seek out the lord and got in, and was saved um and and my dad would not convert but he eventually they they prayed for him for quite a while and eventually one of the uh, officers or one of his senior uh, military guys was helping him uh, repair a car, and he wrapped his knuckles real hard against the engine block, and they're just bloody everywhere. And he just, just let out every single swear word he could possibly think of, and ended it with a with a, taking the name's Lord, the Lord's name in vain. And the other man, whose name was Ron, just said, "Lawrence, Jesus is Lord," and it struck my dad. Um, and, and he, uh, later read, I I think it's Psalm 31, but I'm not sure if it is, um, where it just says that the Psalm is waited patiently for God. And, uh, in the end, my, my dad just, just his prayer was, Lord, I've never been patient about anything and I, and I want to, to learn this patience. And, and, and he also, that was his time of turning and, and then they, they fled. The whole scene they were in, they, they left the, left everything and went all yeah. the way from to mm-hmm.
3: From Great Falls, Montana.
2: Right.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. And the scene they were in was, and at that time, your mom was in the charismatic movement mm-hmm. and your dad was not converted yet, but that was a part of, you were describing that repentance and then mm-hmm. they left and they went to, um, got involved in the right. Presbyterian. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then, um, okay, but you guys are not Presbyterian right now, right?
2: We are not, but I, I still am a very Presbyterian bent in theology. I mean, okay, yeah.
0: So the um, the church you're at right now is it non denominational or?
2: Yeah, I mean, okay. I, I guess you'd say that it's a, it's a Bible church. Okay, I mean, it, it, it's, it's it was started with conscientiousness towards being authorized. And so another Bible church of similar thinking uh, helped initiate it. So,
0: When it comes to baptism, is it more like Baptist or is it more like Presbyterianism?
2: Um, It is Baptist, definitely, (laughs) from the pulpit. I I would argue it can go both ways, but I don't think it's a critical issue.
0: Right. But do people in the church kind of like practice both different no. no. Okay. So it's just strictly Baptist as far right. as practice mm-hmm. in the church. Okay. Yeah. I see. All
3: right. Right. Because Presbyterians do infant baptism. Right.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. i, I kind of thought um, it'd be nice not to divide over things. I know. And then if some way, you know, people could kind of. Um, according to their conscience and still
2: enjoy fellowship together that that'd be really neat you know yeah
3: One yeah day. <laughs> <laughs> that's called heaven <laughs> right? uh, uh, well
2: I'll, do, I'll just comment that if you look at church history and the work of the holy spirit it's very clear both modes of baptism have been authorized and blessed by god yeah so right um
0: you know uh, marina mentioned um You know, like if you're sensitive to opportunities for evangelism and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. Um, can can you just tell me more about what that looks like in your life?
2: Well, I can say that a lot of it has been driven. I, I mentioned pride. I try to find the thing that I think puts me on top, and then I practice it really hard. That's my flesh at work. But it also God has also put in me. on the the spiritual side, a a deep longing for, um, just to see his, his work unfold. I I think it more and more and more, it used to be about, I want to get people saved. And, and then as God has grown me and, and and shown grace and mercy and let me understand more, it becomes more about, I want to see the work of God unfold and you've got to look pretty hard to see these wonderful things happening. And so I believe I, 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 have always practiced evangelism. I, I got I had some youth group members or youth group um, leaders who just took us to parks and said, "Go evangelize." Hmm. And most people just sort of looked around at each other awkwardly. And since I wanted to impress everybody, I got really good at it. Um, but even though that was maybe with poor motivation, God still used it. God, I also just learned to do it. And so both in Houston, when we first were married, I would spent a lot of time uh, just hitting the streets. I I ended up trying to get really involved with two homeless men that both of them, it came to nothing. I learned a lot of lessons about trying to reach people through that. Um, Things like taking this guy named Willie to the store and buying him $150 worth of stuff. And within two days he'd lost it all. And, Hmm. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah. And then in Albuquerque, I spent about two years, uh, consistently going and doing street evangelism, probably just about once a month. Cause we had a lot of other stuff. I worked as a deacon and stuff, but we, a friend and I consistently just hit the streets and, uh, really experienced a lot of the reality of spiritual warfare. You start to see. Um, people do things strange, especially among the home homeless group, uh, among native Americans, a lot of mental cases where people say that's psychiatric stuff. And I would say, well, it's also of a very, uh, a demonic nature. Um, and then also seeing that, that it really didn't bear any fruit, um, that I could see. Uh, there's probably things that came that I just didn't see, but God really, we tried for about two years and finally a young, uh, a, a Navajo man uh, came to the Lord, but then trying to help him, trying to disciple him intensively, it all fell apart eventually. And, and you know, my last conversation with him, um, he was just a mess. He had been in prison, and I still have the same phone number today. That's that's probably 11 years ago, and he's never called me since. Hmm. Um, so. Really experiencing how, no matter how hard you try, you, you can't save someone. I, and what's very interesting about that, that, that Ron is that he, his brother, who's an invalid, um, Ronnie, that's interesting that Ron and Ronnie eventually started going to church and he's been going to church for about 11 years. And he gave a testimony to me recently where he was just sitting in church and the Holy Spirit came next to him and said, it's time for you to be baptized and for a Navajo to become baptized was just like, wow, that's amazing. That, it, but it, it, it just seeing how the fruit had to bear like a decade later uh, was pretty amazing. And I, I only found out about that a couple months ago. It's like, and that oh, was his brother. That was his right. brother who, who is a paraplegic. Um, <clears throat> so I'm, I'm still in touch with Ronnie now, and, and I regularly go back to Albuquerque for my work. So I try to see Visit
0: how he's doing. Visit that church.
4: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: hmm so um i can kind of i can identify with um evangelism for for wrong motives i think i used to do it out of guilt or something along those lines yeah and i went through a program called evangelism explosion which mm-hmm. had like uh you know really step by step you say this then you say that and so forth and then at work, I would kind of single somebody out and it would be somebody who, um, was the least intimidating person that I could you know, think of. And then I would, um, invite them over or some way get into a place where I can just kind of unload the whole thing, you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. And, um, and then there were other times where, um, I was giving out tracks and trying to, um, and I was, you know, kind of shy and even that was like uncomfortable for me and but nowadays um so i feel kind of bad about just all of that and um nowadays i get into a lot more conversations with people about um just sp- spiritual things. My, it's normally like ref- referring um, to my own experience, my t- giving my testimony. A lot of times, it's in the sauna at the gym because <laughs> you're mm-hmm. just sitting there, yeah. and you just c- kind of sp- start a conversation. Um, and um, but I I kind of wonder if I miss opportunities, like because I do assume a whole lot sometimes. Like um, I assume people basically know the gospel message. But it's just a matter of like they're just not converted. God's just never done that thing in their heart. Um but um perhaps um you know they don't know, you know, and maybe it would be really revolutionary to them if they knew that uh the death of Christ meant something, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Um but um Yeah, and that's that's where we're definitely we are pretty helpless to figure that out unless the Holy Spirit really is prompting us and moving us in how and we behave. Because I think both are needed. There are times where you need to be abrasive. Mm-hmm. Here's the gospel. But but that's a huge mistake if you're not in step with the Spirit. That's, that's It can actually be used to the absolute opposite extreme of completely quenching a heart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as a Presbyterian, I'd say, oh, you're not going to cause people to go to hell or Go to heaven, but I would I would say you can greatly delay someone's um, coming to Christ by not being in step with the Spirit and how you evangelize. Well,
0: when you say being in step by the Spirit, what's that look like?
2: I'm not quite sure I can perfectly portray it, but I have a tremendous confidence that as a Christian, um, when we live a prayerful life and we're we're seeking and focusing on Christ, that our impulses are straight in step with what the Holy Spirit wants. Obviously, you need to always evaluate that against Scripture, because anti-scriptural impulses should always be rejected. But when you have a tugging, as long as it's not immoral, follow it. And I think that's that, that's how the spiritual world works. Like where, right,
3: bringing somebody to uh, mind, um, uh, something to do you know like hey maybe i should call so and so or you know mm-hmm. maybe i need to pray for this person or just th- things like that um mm-hmm.
2: yeah and so as yeah. a scientist i, I you know I, I would i would never be able to say well I, I know for sure i just like a child thinking that i'm learning and, and having confidence in what the scriptures say the scripture are so powerful what it says is going on in us if it's really true and I just need to practice like it's true, and 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 it's our sovereign God that's going to correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: um, you know, I I I try to remind myself like um, to let love be kind of a guide, considering the other person, you know, what they're going through, and you know, or just kind of even thinking about that because sometimes I can just go throughout my day without even thinking that there's another you know person and what they're going through and that can kind of be a guide for me um or sometimes it's just the desire to get into a conversation and then it's pretty open and free flowing so it just naturally can kind of go to like spiritual things because obviously I kind of like talking about things like that you know right. but um yeah I think that I probably you know need to consider um you know that just not assume as much and just kind of be a little more direct, perhaps. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure or purposeful.
3: Yeah. And I think also over the most recent years, I feel like God has really been unifying our relationship and our family. I think that um, we've been very divided in a sense not that we weren't both christians but maybe what we wanted out of life was kind of different and um i don't just feel like god has really been working on unifying our vision for our family um what it looks like to serve him who we're called to serve um and and things like that so much of our audience is each other our children you know and then um and then other relationships but i i just feel like it's hard to i think daniel always wanted to go abroad like be a missionary in a (laughs) foreign land and my heart was always i don't know if it was fear or just like i don't know if we want to do that but it seems like god has brought us more in line to Maybe we'll do that, but right now is like the training ground for that. And the test is how well do we love each other and how well do we love those closest to us, which are right now our children, our family. And and so focusing on being a close family and, and for there to be love within our home, um, probably our, our biggest focus. Yeah.
0: So, um, how would you put it as far as like your philosophy of life, or your philosophy of your family's life? You know, your vision or mission, or I don't know what words to use, but like, um, how would you say that? Oh, sorry.
3: Yeah, I I think kind of what Daniel was saying that it's just going to be that it is going to be that it is going to be spirit led and, um. so it's hard to know what that is going to look like exactly because God will lead us in, in different ways. Um, but I think the ultimate goal is to love each other, you know, for,
4: I don't know.
1: Can I ask a more concrete question? Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> sure. Why do you guys homeschool?
3: Um,
2: well, I was homeschooled. Mm -hmm. through all of the moving. When I was 16, we'd moved 16 times. So I was just popping all over the place in Mexico and Costa Rica and all over the United States. And so I loved homeschooling and I was able to start college very early at 16, um, mostly because of the mentorship of my dad. Um, And so I find it to be a much more free, way of schooling, uh, but I really did not want to impose that on my wife. And so I always told her I preferred it, but did not want her to have to homeschool unless it was something she wanted to adopt.
4: Mm-hmm. So
2: from there, I think you can
4: talk to her
3: And my focus was I wanted the kids to have a childhood, you know, where they didn't feel a lot of like pressure, just time to be kids that we weren't being driven by this schedule which is really ironic because we do have a very busy schedule (laughs) but that doesn't happen until the evening hours with the kids activities but um, I just wanted kids to be kids and to be free to play and explore and learn and that sort of thing and um, also but I think primarily it was for relationship to have the time to work on Relationships with each other and relation, like, you know, parents, children, and relationships amongst each other. Um, however, I feel like for the majority of our homeschooling, um, I, th- I think I was getting a lot wrong. And um, in the most recent years, God has just kind of humbled me and shown me... Um, just how I needed to change, that my emphasis was wrong, even though I was like saying all the right things, I wasn't doing it um with the right spirit and um and I feel like right now we're at a place in our family where we're kind of I feel like we're doing the right things for the right reasons, and you know it's in some ways it's through our own failings that God has i don't know humbled us and gotten us to be where we're
1: at and and just following up on that like you were uh, sharing your your family goals of love relationships spirit led preparing training and i guess my my thought or question is do you feel like <clears throat> homeschool is homeschooling your family is a necessary tool or an optional tool or optional part of that goal, achieving that goal you have as a as a family for you guys. Not talking about for everyone, but for you guys. How do you how do you view uh, view that?
4: Well, I, I would
2: look at right away to Deuteronomy eight, where it just says, "Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God." And I'd say anything besides Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father are not essential. So homeschooling is a wonderful means, but I see many families going other ways. I think God made things. Extremely flexible in how we behave. The tremendous advantage I see about homeschooling is the intensive relationship between parent and child. That, though difficult, is really, I think, the primary battle in spiritual warfare. The, the primary need for there to be close sibling and parent relationships and a strong family um, is something that is, our culture is consistently trying to break down. So I think homeschool has a, a huge advantage there. Um, yeah, do you mm-hmm. have anything else on? You?
3: Yeah, and, and but you know we did put our son in school this year, and um, part of that was me feeling very overwhelmed and just needing like feeling like my you know there needed to be a little bit of a break um, and just some relief on maybe the pressure and the responsibility of educating um so many and uh because i don't know if we've mentioned but we have seven children <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's a, that's a little mention. aside you know <laughs> but we have seven kids so it's not anyway um but so we felt like we needed some relief and um and so we put our son in school and that's been a good thing for our, our family and i think a good thing for him and We'll see how it goes.
0: Yep. You know, Daniel, you see, your childhood and upbringing seems to be so ideal. If you know, like um, your your parents or your dad and uh, just um, catechism and everything like that. And is there any? Um, do you see any negatives to that type of upbringing, or is there anything you wish was uh, different, or it could? Um, you know, such zeal be, you know, like uh needs to be tempered with something else? Or do you have any thoughts about that?
2: Well, I, I would I would say that I, I'm greatly appreciative to my parents, but yeah. they came out of a tough background and were all sinners and no work of man can produce the work of God. Mm-hmm. And so by grace, it, it has helped me tremendously, but I, I would say... That, as a teenager, just before I met Marina, it had gotten to my head quite a bit in terms of I was highly admired by several women in our church, not because they wanted to be married me marry me, but because they wanted our daughters to marry me um i i I served I was part of the youth group leadership, I did all of these things, and it really got into my head, and uh the pride. Got God had to rebuke me very solidly in how and how Marina and I ended up getting married, which was a, a story that um it started with with uh me actually being engaged to someone other than Marina and uh that falling apart. Um and in the midst of it falling apart, I was in engineering school, I'm a good engineer, I know how to handle everything, uh that arrogant spirit. Uh, I decided I I literally had a list. Here are all the women I'm going to like go ahead and consider now that this other one's saying no, like I can handle this. Um, And, and I ended up in a relationship with Marina where I I was wishy washy. And then I broke it off and said, that's not how I behave. And and I told her if I came back, it's going to be for good. And so I had been doing a lot of, reading about courtship and all these things. And I was going to do it right. And so I eventually came back to Marina and said, this is now a courtship. And which means what, you know, technically what does that mean? It means I'm here for good. I haven't proposed to you, but you know, it's coming and you're just getting a time of preparation for that proposal. Um, And then uh, probably a couple weeks right after I did that, the other girl came back like, I'm so sorry. I wish things hadn't gone that way. And at the same time, the Holy Spirit put me um, through Psalm 15, which has a lot of criteria, like who can dwell on God's holy hill. And uh, it, one of them is the man who swears to his own hurt and stays the same. And so I was like, okay, well, I can be super spiritual. I can handle this. So I kept my word about the courtship, but my heart was not in it at all. And the result was three or year, three years of, of marriage work. I was doing the right thing externally, but fighting it inside um, horribly. And it it ended at, it it ended at a turning point uh, where I, I thought I was going to either hurt myself, hurt my wife, or or something like that. And 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 literally I believe, I'm not sure of this because it's a subjective experience. God God had to get to a point where he said, I, I can give you to the demons or you can submit to me. Hmm. And I was like, Oh God, I want you. Mm-hmm. And and in that breaking moment, I was I was healed. I, I went through a tremendous time of grieving. And then I also started feeling the grief of what have I done to Marina for over this? this? Is she's not she's worth so much more? She's a child of God, and and it was all because of your high standard of righteousness that it, it was a facade. And and I found that I was married to a beautiful woman who was bearing with me through three years where where and and I don't want to, to paint all of this in too negative of um, atmosphere because I also knew from the very beginning that Marina was the one. That genuinely loved me and that had a um, a heart that was more in line with me than than other possibilities, mm-hmm. um, and so that it, it, it it was a a the biggest wrestle of my life. There's been some other things where 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 God had to thoroughly humble me from that sense of like, hey, I'm an ideal person. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> <Just> like <laughs> no, I I can make horrible messes and then god can put them back together because i mean if anybody argues against it like oh well you never got over that three years i'm like come on we have seven kids we love each other <laughs> we, we now we argue a lot it's we, we enjoy we don't enjoy all that but, yeah, <laughs> but I, I really ha- we have, I have a, have real a hard r- time even with his
3: description sometimes of you know um you know who can who what's a verse who can dwell on God's holy hill. He who keeps his veil and what his own hurt.
4: Yeah, it's
2: swears to his own hurt.
3: I'm the hurt. <laughs> that is how I would always take that. And that would drive me crazy. Mm-hmm. And then, um, shortly after we got married, he, uh, wrote a song called shattered dreams. That was number one on my <laughs> list. Aye, aye, aye. Um, so we've, we've had to bear through a lot, but, um, yeah, but God has really been gracious to us, and you know, he the story that He's written through us is 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 His love story, and um. And He's used it in our lives for good, and so, but it wasn't always easy or picture perfect. That's for sure.
0: You know the the whole idea of like um, knowing. Um, what's right, but then your heart not being into it and so forth. So you said you went like three years with that. Mm -hmm. Um, so like, um, what helped or what brought you to that point? Like, um, because it evidently wasn't yourself, um, because you knew you wanted to do you, what was right. And yet the heart was different. And, um, so uh, how
2: do you get your heart on the right page? Um, you don't. Okay. I mean, it's 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 the grace of God. There's there's nothing else that could. I mean, in, in writing music, there's a lot of that reality portrayed. That, that there's if God doesn't, if if he just left us, we'd never progress to anything. And 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 I think that grace often comes in tremendous, sudden moments when they're unexpected. Um, for me, it was. You know when we're in a very very dark time, the last thing we expect is to suddenly find ourselves rejoicing and being victorious and that's exactly what I've experienced probably two or three times in my life hmm. um where god God saves you know that that's that's where um where, where we come to be worship we're worshipers of him rather than those who know of him
4: mm-hmm
3: and and God says if you love me you'll obey my commandments and i really feel like that's been <clears throat> daniel's heart is always to i think daniel loves the lord and his desire is to obey his commandments to the best of his you know human ability and and i feel like god has honored that desire um in daniel i think he also has a very strong hunger for righteousness it's really hard for him when things are not right (laughs) he wants them to be right Mm -hmm. and um and i think that we cannot control this out outside of ourselves many times but um, and not that we can control ourselves but we can you know we can hunger and thirst for righteousness and and um we can incline our ear to wisdom and you know we can seek to do what's what's right. And I feel like that's what I've seen Daniel choose to do is to wrestle with the Lord, to do what's right and have integrity.
4: Yeah. And that's,
2: that's the product of God's grace. And, and it's, it's God who called from the foundation of the world to say, Daniel would actually yearn for me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not in any way something that, you know, I deserved to be honored or anything like that. I, I, I have been honored. Um, and God has put that heart into me, um, and it's an area where, where increasingly, I, I find people almost disregarding the Old Testament law. And and just as Calvin taught, I believe that the Old Testament law is a guide to holiness, and that's that's something that that uh, sometimes people forget. So I, I mean, I, I spend every, every night I do the same as, as Luther did. I go over the, um, (coughs) the Lord's prayer, the apostles creed and the 10 commandments with my kids. And you'd be surprised how much raising up children, just like my dad did that know the law, love the law, but also find how much they just don't cut it. And that, that leads to, I think there being a, a fruition of understanding grace. Um, because because it you know it starts out with a, I'm going to keep the law of God, and then it ends with a not only have I failed but I despise my own self, um, and and I need I need grace, um, so.
0: Well, you mentioned routines, so why don't I you know just ask both of you and if you want to start Marina, like what are routines of life. That um, just are meaningful to you.
3: Routines. I'm probably the most unorganized person. <laughs> um, routines that are meaningful to me. I feel like Daniel might be able to answer my routine better. I I don't know if I I, I really struggle with organization and um, it's hard for me to be regular with almost just about anything. I think I'm more creative in my approach to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, choose. There are seasons. The Advent season is something that has been special to me in the past. Um, but aside from that, it's hard for me to
0: describe what, um, what do you do in your life that nourishes you spiritually? Or uh, yeah, something along those lines.
3: I really think just seeking I know seeking to be sensitive to God's spirit. I feel like I tend to just continue to focus on loving the Lord and loving others, and that is kind of the basis of my thinking and application. Um, I'm in a busy season, so it's hard for me to be consistent with um, personal devotions. I would say that I've been seeking to have devotions with the children, um, and discipling my older girls in particular as they prepare for womanhood to draw them to Christ that when they're having trials to bridge that gap, to show them to the person that you need to be looking towards is not your friends, not this person, not that person, not the church, or but really Christ and your relationship with Him. Um, you know, I think back on how you know what my mom gave me, and that was to look for God, but there wasn't that bridging of the gap between that relationship. She didn't show me how to have that relationship and so um so much of my routine and my opportunity to just be sensitive to God comes through just you know listening to music, the devotions that I'm doing with the kids um, allowing the kids to come in when I'm making breakfast and they want to sprinkle the pancakes with chocolate chips am I going to welcome them in or am I going to you know just right. little things like that it's so right. just so really my routine is just trying to run my home and mm-hmm. being sensitive to God
2: right.
0: as
3: I do that
0: right yeah. what
2: are, your, th- what are well, your routines that are meaningful to you? Some so back, back background is that I work at home uh-huh. And I've been doing that for almost ten years now, and I've found that with respect to work, I need a routine. So um I started out ten years ago working in my pajamas. I can work anytime I want. I'm as flexible as you want me to be, and realizing that that's a recipe for depression and hmm. and, and a lot of a lot of difficulty. And so now I I, I make a point to wake up early if I can. And I go for a run and a long walk. Um, and and that's my prayer time also. Um, sometimes I cook breakfast, usually I don't. Um, and then I get showered, get into business dress and go to work, even though I'm just walking Mm -hmm. 20 feet away. Um, and so, and, and then, You know, I I usually finish my day at 530 and then just spend almost all my other time trying to help Marina and the kids with tutoring um, and other things. And I'm, I'm of the unusual persuasion at this point that I've actually almost been giving too much to the household. And I'm trying to break away from that, not because I don't think that that's a good thing, but because it gets to the point where I'm not training my children um, or his wife, or his wife, my wife. <laughs> Instead, I I'm doing, I'm trying to do it all for them, mm-hmm. um, and so that's not a good thing. And so mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm, I'm moving on. I'm, I'm going to try to get the music that I write, and and I, and I think that God has very clearly been working on me to to move in a direction and mm-hmm. see if I can get that started to do something that will bless the church.
0: Okay, so. Instead of the doing, like the helping, you would like to be serving your family more with trainings, like teaching? or sh- Just mention. indirect.
3: It's more indirect.
4: Okay. Indirect. Yeah. Okay.
3: So, yeah, I feel like he focuses on just working and rather than coming in and I'm maybe stressed out and him saying, what can I do for you to help you? You know, I've, I've noticed. Maybe he doesn't know. I'm very perceptive, but I've noticed that he's just going to be hands off, you know? And so if we're supposed to do something, he's going to keep himself occupied until it's time to go because he has his things to do and I need to do my things. And it's, uh, he, I know that it's not because he's, am I right?
2: Go just say what <laughs> you
3: I know it's not because he is, you know, um, not wanting to be helpful because he's he is a servant he would serve me to his death if he could and so I know that it's for my good that he kind of wants me to that he has comf- I don't know if he has confidence that I can handle it or not but <laughs> he's going to um give me that opportunity at least to you know just do what I need to do and kind of grow up as as a mother and manager of our home
2: and and I think it it really is the work of the Holy Spirit that has led us in this direction it was very counterintuitive to me but it it, it occurred to me more and more as God has has led me in and, and, and we're at a point where I think that our household both of us are not tremendously organized people I'm very organized in my work mm-hmm. but in my own household I don't think that I received a very good example from my dad about how to be organized. He he's a very intellectual, wonderful man. He gave me so many good things. But when it came to leading a household, um that there's just a couple things I think that are missing there. And so I I believe that God is, is highly organized and that people view org- organization sometimes as a hindrance to intimacy, which it can be if if you're you're just pushing something, but organization actually is a very much something that leads to the freedom for intimacy. Um, and so I've just been seeing how things like... I'll, I'll spend my time... I, I love doing dishes. So I'll, I'll just have my, spend my time doing the dishes. And, and, and I felt like the Holy Spirit has told me recently, you need to make sure your kids do that, but you need to do the things they can't do. You need to make sure that your finances are in order. You need to make sure... That all your bills are paid that all and so I, I find more and more that i 'm ahead of the game, but that is taking all my time up that I used to spend using and helping my my family hmm. and so so God, god is god, god is reorganizing us in some ways and how we spend our time, and I think, think ultimately what our goal is is to be a whole lot more free as a result of what god 's sort of changing in us. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure. Sometimes it doesn't feel like we're going to get there though. So we'll right. see how it goes. So do you miss doing dishes then? Oh yeah. I love doing dishes. <laughs> wow. It's just the way I just tune out and yeah. think about whatever I want to think about. Or mowing lawns is the same way. Yeah. So.
0: Hmm. You mentioned music. Um, And you even brought your guitar. So you want to tell us more about your music and even you can share something with us if you'd like to.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, um, it's something that I didn't anticipate that I'd ever be a songwriter, but probably about 18 years old, my brother and I wrote one song together and that was the first and last song we ever wrote together. Um, but I started to find songwriting as a tremendous, tremendous outlet, um, for all the difficult things. I wrote a lot of songs like Marina mentioned, I wrote shattered dreams, which was in no way, a uh, something that had anything to do with her, but it really had to do with the reality that God must shatter our perception about how life should work to replace it with the gospel. Um, mm. and that my sense of invincibility was completely getting smashed. Um, and so, Songwriting has been very much a way that I cope, um, but it's also a way that I seek to instruct um, and to convey truth, uh, theological truth. I, I really try to write. I, I don't. I don't really try to write, but God produces in me songs that are the musings of my my theology, and, and I would hope are the theology of God. That the, the truth is is really coming. Out through them, so, um, so, and, and, and only recently I, I had I, I, I've written almost two albums of music, which I think has been an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, um, where I just can't stop writing songs, which has been very unusual. So I, I think it's it's God's moving mm-hmm. and saying, "Go ahead, this is not just for you; it's it's also for um, others." And so I. I've, I've really started wanting to share it more. I shared mm-hmm. it a tremendous amount when I was younger and, and now, and, and then I sort of stepped back um, and and found that I didn't have the persistence to, to figure out how to have a concert or anything like that. And I'm, I'm excited because I'm going to try to change that. And I think money is in support of that. So.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: All right. Well, maybe, um,
0: We'll kind of, here in a minute, a few minutes, we'll close out with a, a song. Would you like to do it that yeah. way? Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, and Billy, go ahead. Is there anything else that you would like to bring up? Any topics that you'd like to talk about? Or uh, I have one, but how much more time do we want to take? <laughs> well, there's no...
1: Time limit. Do you guys just, have more time still? We're
3: okay. Right? I don't hear any screaming outside. So.
1: <laughs> um, okay. I'm curious. Uh, my I'm always curious about uh, cultural things. We're in the valley here where there's lots of Spanish going on. And both of you speak some Spanish, at right. least to some level or another. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would like to know more about that side of your upbringing. How is it that you speak Spanish and maybe where you're uh for you maybe a little bit more of the timeline of growing up you know those early years and then also for you like your uh cultural roots and that kind of thing cuz um i'm curious about that uh, cuz i uh, you know i don't think either of you took language school to learn spanish no, no i did <laughs> oh you did yeah. oh okay well mm-hmm. i would like to hear about okay. that then cuz that's how you know what i had to do right, to learn right. spanish so uh so anyway
3: Sure. Well, um, so I grew up in Southern California. I was born in LA. Um, My dad is, was from uh, Southern Mexico in a small town of Tonaya, Jalisco, in the state of Jalisco, which is about three hours west of Guadalajara in the mountains there. Um, And his family was immigrating into Southern California which is how he ended up there um after he met and married my mom in Texas um, so I Spanish was my first language and I apparently was reading in Spanish before I was reading in English and I kind of my mom says I taught myself which I'm not quite sure how that happens but she didn't teach me so somehow I learned to read in Spanish um but uh but yeah that's how i how i learned to speak it and i always had a desire to, con- to even continue that and so when i was in college i went to spain and took my spanish my college spanish courses there for a month and that was a really neat opportunity
1: okay cool
2: mm-hmm. so we didn't receive any Spanish. My, my mom is, is Anglo and my dad is Hispanic and there was shame over Spanish in New Mexico where he came from. His parents both fluently spoke Spanish and didn't teach a word to their children. And so my dad didn't speak a single bit of Spanish besides a couple of phrases when he decided to become a missionary. And, uh, so we went to Costa Rica and uh, learned Spanish for a year. I didn't learn it that great at that point.
1: How old were you then?
2: I was 7 years old. Okay. Um and uh but then lived in Mexico City for 4 years. And but then all of my friends wanted to speak English more than Spanish. And would even sort of like like I'd start speaking them in Spanish and be like no man, we speak English what are you like don't 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 hurt yourself um, so so i mean i I got enough exposure to where I speak fairly well and i i feel confident to just go into Mexico and I wouldn't be uh intimidated by the language, but if you want to get very personal in the language, i probably struggle a lot um or and and so i've I've actually been growing in Spanish a lot more because I'm a lot more assertive and have served as a translator on. Several missions trips now, um, I just hack my way through it, and and so I'm, I'm getting a lot better. And, and living in the valley actually helps because there's a lot, quite a few people that you pretty much have to speak them in Spanish. So,
1: so, so the, in Mexico City, you were like basically eight to twelve, is with or how? Yeah, there was there's a, a
2: pause, a uh, furlough, so about nine to uh, nine to twelve, yeah, to okay. thirteen almost.
1: And then after that, where did
2: you guys move? Um, we moved to Reynosa, Mexico, where Ooh, we wow we lived and served there for a year. Okay. Um, yeah, and that was a that was a very difficult time for me because I got so asthmatic from the very dirty conditions we were in that I had a uh, horrible, horrible, horrible problems breathing hmm. for a whole year.
1: Well, yeah. Thank you for yeah. for sharing mm-hmm. with me. so so. You could be described as like a third generation and, yeah. second, and second generation. Okay. Definitely. And in the Valley, it's interesting because you see all the different stages <clears throat> of, of, of that. Yeah. Right. So. And what
3: has struck me is that language could totally be lost within one generation. In one generation. It's mm-hmm. just gone like that. Mm-hmm. Cause we have it from my dad, mm-hmm. but because we're not fluent speakers, it's not really happening with our kids, mm-hmm. but um, naturally, there right. there's interest, and they see the benefit of learning, and so there's a chance they'll continue. Hmm. Yeah, and they have some understanding, but
2: cool. it's our code language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Break into Spanish if we don't want the kids to understand.
1: <laughs> right.
0: You know, Daniel, you mentioned helping the homeless and learning through that. Um, do you have any suggestions for just the common person who encounters homeless people from time to time, and um, you know about how to help, or uh, what to do, what not to do, just practical things or anything along those lines?
2: Um, definitely to not um, ever stop having compassion. In terms of like basic things, I I, I still believe if if you feel an impulse give them something, you know, tell them God loves them as you do it. Uh, But then on a practical level to understand that doesn't do very much for them, um, that uh, you shouldn't promise like you're going to be a friend unless you really are going to be a friend. Um, And my experience is that if you actually do that, most of the times. They're going to be the ones that leave. The three examples I practically lived out, all—all, all, I guess there's four. All of them have ended with uh, with them rejecting me. Like, I don't want you close. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to actually help me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so to to be ready to to give a lot. Um, the, the other thing is that that on on a on a level of if you do get into a closer relationship with them it needs to be very much like a parent-child relationship. You need They, they need to submit to authority. They need to, um, you, you almost have to get abrasive. And I get this not from my own experience, but from a, another individual that I've been involved with, Doug Chandler, That uh, that's part of the Albuquerque rescue mission. Um, he is very stern um, in his approach as he helps people and yet it's very compassionate all the way from helping people who have soiled themselves. So there's, there's this, this need homeless people usually need a parent. Um, and they need to sort of start de- back at ground one of learning to be a child that listens to and obeys someone else. And, and most of them are like, no way, <laughs> not going to do that. And so it, it filters out a lot of things. And if you just keep on just sort of giving without that structure, it 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 often just hurts the situation. You get a codependent relationship. That's not going to help anybody.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I really appreciate the time you guys have taken to talk uh, with us and I've enjoyed it a lot and uh, just I'm thankful for you guys. Thank well, you. let's, um, so We'll just kind of uh, wrap it up here, and uh, with just uh, that, and um, and then we'll just, you know, uh, let's listen to a, a song. Okay. Whatever you'd like to share,
2: Daniel. Okay. Are we gonna record it? Yeah.
4: Okay.
3: Cool. Do you want background on this song? Like, I don't know, background knowledge, or or maybe after you. Listen.
0: Yeah, anything you'd
2: like to tell us about the song first? Okay, this this song comes from the end of uh, Zephaniah where it says that God is over his children rejoicing over them. Um and that all of the the fortunes of of Israel will be restored. And Zephaniah is a prophet that really came with a negative message to Israel that that blossoms into God saying, you know, I am going to restore your fortunes. So. It's going to come out in a lower key than I like singing it, but I don't have my capo, so. You
0: try it.
4: Grab your fiddle, old man. Start practicing again. Paint paintings of vision, show Christ's new creation Life is yet to begin, life is yet to begin Oh, life is yet to begin Sing your songs, old girl, he's yet to unfurl All of your beauty made for his glory Life is yet to begin, life is yet to begin Oh, life is yet to begin Fortunes have come Christ is done with dying He's blazing and singing Songs of joy over you Outcast and lonely Ignored and homely He gives you a new face Of grace On His day Of restored our God mightily speaks those vote on his cheeks oh the blood running down no new life did found life is yet to begin life is yet to begin oh life is yet to begin for us lonely old souls wretched oppressed who thought death was our lot but it is not life is to begin life is yet to begin oh life is yet to begin restored fortunes have come christ is done with dying he's blazing and singing songs of joy over you all you outcasts and lonely ignored and home he gives you a new face a of grace on His Day of Restored Fortunes, His Day of Restored Fortunes. Life is yet to begin, life is yet to begin, oh life is yet to begin. His day of restored life is yet to begin. Life is yet to begin. Oh, life is yet to begin. His day of restored fortunes.
0: If you use a podcast app like iTunes, please give a review of Conversations About Life.